0: effortless stoicism. James Pierce has written and spoken with deep insight about what he calls effortless stoicism. See here for some of those resources and in the description to this video or podcast for links to his own writings on the topic. In one of his articles, he writes, quote, effortless stoicism does not come when you have control of your emotions but when you no longer need it, end quote. Stoicism is a school of thought arising out of an attitude, first explained in ancient Greece by Zeno of Citium in around 300 BC, and perhaps most fully articulated in the writings of the Roman emperor Marcus Aurelius, and is itself a deep philosophy, which I encourage the listener or viewer to explore. But for our purposes now, it is enough to recognise that the term Stoicism, today, carries with it an important remnant of the deep philosophical tradition that lays behind it. Namely, that Stoicism entails enduring something patiently, or not being reactive emotionally in the moment to something that happens to you. Being thoughtful and considered, in other words. Being emotionally resilient, we might say, in even more modern educational psychological talk. It seems as if such an attitude would take a suppression of feelings, that it should take effort. But James explains how it can be otherwise. I encourage everyone, as I said, to read James's blog on this, and his thread on Twitter, and his videos about this. He is the originator of these powerful ideas, and in what I say that follows, any mistakes in interpretation or emphasis will, of course, be my own. I'm simply going to try to unpack effortless stoicism a little in my own words and explore what I think are the practical applications and implications of some of this, as. My own mind has been changed on what I think should be emphasised on some of these issues. We'll come back to that. Stoicism need not be about enduring or suppressing. Instead, as James explains, it can be about understanding. Outwardly, the same thing can be observed by any external observer of the so-called Stoic person. Namely, There are kind of two kinds of stoicism in this sense. A person who is actually actively suppressing emotions compared to a person who is better understanding their emotions. In both cases, the person is seemingly not caught up in the emotion of reacting in the moment. But only in the former case where the suppression is actually going on is the internal subjective state one which carries with it a kind of negativity at times, anxiety, fear, and most importantly, a loss of one's clear train of thought. One is actually going with the emotion, but in a sense, they're pretending not to be. That's that kind of false stoicism, the effortful stoicism. But understanding one's emotions better means one has a better set of ideas that constitute a good, to them at least, explanation of reality. And once they are in possession of this, they can accept reality without reacting to that reality in an unthoughtful way. Of course, reactions emotionally are both possible and desirable. Of course they are. We want to defend ourselves if attacked, or run away if we're scared, or jump with joy when the wonderful thing happens. But we also want to be doing these things consciously, because then we are fully present and have a deeper appreciation of each emotion, of the moment, and of reality. Next, let me come to the main part of my own thesis about this. Effortless or even enlightened Stoicism, we might say, is not just about not fleeing the worst, about escaping from feeling bad about past mistakes, lost loves, deep trauma, and serious coercion. It's not merely about escaping or fleeing from those kind of things. It's also about all practical day-to-day things, literally stuff as prosaic and mundane as exercise. Some people think they do not enjoy doing exercise, and yet they also know that it's good for them. Must I coerce myself through things I know on one level at least are good for me, but on the other I feel as if I do not want to do those things? So here is where I changed my mind about what I want to emphasise about this. I haven't changed anything substantively about what I think about the philosophy of this as such, of my philosophy of the importance of motivation, for example. None of that's changed. But it is worth bearing something in mind in addition to what I have rather often advised people when it comes to this kind of thing. I used to say to people who challenged me on exactly this, They would say things like, well, it's all right for you, Brett Hall, because you've incorporated, for example, exercise into your life and you've learned to enjoy it long ago. Or you, Brett Hall, had good science and mathematics teachers apparently, but I didn't and I was turned off those subjects. How can I learn to exercise or learn mathematics and science now if I don't enjoy any of that, even if I know They are good to know and good to do. What I used to say about all this is, well, just try for a while. Get over that coercion hump. Find the fun. Now, I've changed my perspective, if not my mind, on this. I'm looking at it all from a different angle, with one proviso. I still concede there are young people in genuine extremists, we might say, those with major depression, at the end of their tether, who feel as if they contribute nothing and mean nothing to anyone or anything, and don't know what to do next. These young people especially are truly at risk, as the terminology today goes. These youngsters, but actually it can be a person of any age, are in a kind of psychological emergency. They need their hand held, and I still say to them, If they are not seeking help from others right now, and they should be, then they should just try some things out for a while. Because if you speak to young people like this, they say, but literally nothing feels good. Nothing. I've heard this kind of thing from, if not many, then certainly an uncomfortable number of times I've heard it over the course of my 20 plus years of working directly with young people. I would still say to them, absent everything else, try out exercising. For those people, trying still is a prescription, just for a month. Every day, give it a go. Why? Because It's a simple instruction when you just don't know how to do anything else yet. You can at least just make that promise to yourself to try out exercise, try out coding, try out mathematics, try out some art, try out the dance or the poetry or the writing or whatever it is. You can find the fun in something and sometimes you will find a vein of rich silver ore you will find it and then realize it becomes effortless to follow it. So for those people, in those genuine times of emergency, I still do advise precisely that to try, especially if they fear to seek help directly from others. But they should, of course, seek help. But now I would also say, perhaps listen to what James Pierce says on this and what I'm about to say and see if this works. And for those not in an emergency, in a state of true mental anguish, I will say, try the following instead of temporary coercion. Of course, the word try here is actually perverse, as we will come to see in a moment. After all, this all should be effortless. If you're not doing exercise or not doing something else that you otherwise know is good for you but it feels bad, then that's just because there is something, there is something about the world you do not understand. You need to understand your ideas and reality and then you won't feel bad about the good thing. Why? Because if it's inherently good then you can understand that and inherently good things do not feel bad with exercise, you need to really understand. No, no. I mean really understand what is happening here. Not just your feelings. You need to understand something deeper than just your feelings. You need to also understand external reality better as well. Exercise, for many people, really will mean the difference between life and death. Or a long life and a short life. Or a life of pain and suffering of the bad kind versus a strong, vibrant, energetic, flexible, no-injury-avoiding, sickness, mentally and physically agile life. If you can understand this, really, really understand it as a matter of it dawning on you, the truth of all this, the importance and virtue of exercise You will no longer see exercise as an effort. You will just see it as part of your life. A necessary need to move. And the more you see a need to move, the more you will move, and the more vigorously. You might even begin adding weight to your movements and begin pushing lumps of iron and steel around a little room. Something we call working out at a gym. And you won't regard any of it as really hard work, but rather an exciting and fun thing to do because you'll understand mentally and then your body will understand inexplicitly and give you feedback. You interpret not as painful, but actually as pleasurable and satisfying. You will feel excited before you go to the gym. You'll feel energized while you're there and a sense of accomplishment afterwards. What more could you want? But people who regard it as all feeling bad, don't understand how any of that is possible. Or they may have forgotten temporarily. They need to understand reality as it is. So now, let's go beyond exercise and emotional distress with effortless stoicism. Because it literally works for everything. Come on, you should be getting stuff done, and you should enjoy doing so. Why? Because You've learned to because you understand why you don't need to and thus do not feel coerced or bad about doing these good things that you really want to do and you want to want to do. You need to live your life, not merely exist, and it needs to be effortless. It needs to be fun and engaging. As I hinted at before, people over the years have asked me about not merely what maths and physics to study, for example, what books to buy or lectures to watch in order to gain the knowledge to understand reality more deeply. But also, they've asked me how to get past not enjoying it because they find it boring. What I've said in the past is to try to push through and see if after a month or so you find the fun. Otherwise, then drop it. I was wrong about that. At least, I was wrong to put it precisely that way. Although, as I say, this attitude can still work for some youngsters in extremists who are deeply depressed and say, as they have said to me, they literally claim to find nothing fun. The spark of life has tragically gone out in them far too soon. In fact, at any time in your life, this spark should never go out. It's always too soon. But I've said to those people who've come to me, experiment with life, try a few different things. But okay, that's an exception. These people in true deep extremists, very depressed. But what about the person in their 20s or 30s or 40s or 50s who wants to understand quantum physics but simultaneously finds it boring and dry every time they pick up a textbook and turn on a lecture? Well, The reason you're finding it boring and dry is because there's something you do not understand. And I don't just mean about quantum physics necessarily. You need to understand something about the reality of the world that's holding you back. You need to become, or you need to get, or you need to learn to be enlightened. On this at least. And that should be, as James says, effortless. Enlightenment should be an all-round universal thing there in every moment for the truly enlightened. Yes, indeed. But for now, let's focus on the specific point. For example, doing maths or physics or just learning any old thing you want to but seem unable to find enjoyable. Effortless stoicism here might involve the enlightenment of coming to realise how understanding, for example, quantum physics – might require you to realize how important it is to the world. Maybe that can be enough. Maybe that can be the motivation. And that can be your aha moment of realizing, wow, this subject is just so important to the world, and therefore I'm excited about learning it. Maybe that can be the problem that you want to solve, that you want to make progress on something that is important for the world, as well as important for you. So realizing that, that could be your aha moment. But personally, I doubt it. You need to find a better hook than that. A problem that animates you personally, scientifically, for example. And this process of finding that thing in an effortless way may result in you doing quantum physics, or it may not. In the latter case, where you may not, you may realise you understand reality truly better now. Namely, that now you really do get it. You get why... You don't get quantum physics, but instead you get why trying to do quantum physics or anything else that you don't really feel like you're enjoying. You come to understand trying to want to do that thing all along was wrong for you. It was the wrong path. You've come to understand that reality. This reminds me of Naval and Nivi's advice on getting rich. They have explained how you'll never get there, you'll never get rich, relying on a salary, on renting out your time. People often hear that, that part of their advice, and they kind of understand it, but only partially. Naval and Nivy are not saying, they're not saying, never rent out your time, never rely upon a salary or a wage. They're not saying... Renting out your time is inherently bad. That somehow you're a lesser person if you're on a wage or a salary. No, they're not saying that at all. They are saying it's not the path to financial freedom. That's just reality. Financial freedom here, meaning you never have to worry about your finances basically ever again. With financial freedom, your money is working for you. And you can live where you want, more or less, and drive what you want if you want, and travel where you want, when you want, and give your children what they want, when they want it. What Naval and Nivi are saying is you can't have all of that, all of that kind of freedom on a wage or a salary by renting out your time, in particular because your time is not your own. You're renting it out to someone else. But, but, and the but is just so important here, Naval and Nivi quickly follow it up with When you're starting out, you may need to rent out your time. But the only excuse for that is when you're starting out. So when you're starting out, your options are very limited by the limited funds you have. And it's just a necessary stage that many people have to go through. You can't deny reality. You don't have the money right now to do whatever it is that you want, like a genuinely rich person does. A rich person, a truly wealthy person, is defined by having the money to basically do whatever they want. They're not worried about getting by day to day and week to week. Those concerns about bills, for example, have literally vanished from their minds. It's all automated. The home electricity bill, not something they look twice at. Perhaps they never look at it because some service now takes care of all of their bills, It's beneath them and not worth their time to look at how much their phone bill is this month. Just looking at it costs more than their time is worth. You're denying reality if you say that this is not something that you want for yourself. This is where we all want to be and ideally where we all should be, but we can't be there by renting out our time. So how do we get there? Well, you can either coerce yourself temporarily through that phase. That might have been what I said previously. Coerce yourself through the time of earning a wage or earning a salary by renting your time. Or, or, understand and effortlessly find the Stoicism. I think I'd say the latter now more often. It's what James, Naval, and Nivy are saying. Understand reality and then it will be effortless. Get a wage or a salary, save your money, and then get to a place where you can do this. This being, number one, understand why it's necessary for now to have that wage or salary and enjoy it, and two, get to a place where you no longer need it, the wage or the salary, and therefore get rich. Get financially enlightened to a degree, Win the financial lottery, in a sense. And then begin to get fully enlightened. In other words, win the full lottery of life. Realize it's all here already. Whatever you want is literally here in the physical universe, at least in the multiverse, and in the mental space of ideas. It's there in the possibility. Now you just have to construct it. Construct reality around you. What it takes is understanding, recognizing in the moment what it is you really desire, what your preferences are, what you feel. That means not reacting in the moment and not feeling terrible about reality and terrible about your circumstances. It means instead understanding it. And that is an unending process. You can become more and more enlightened, more deeply aware of reality in the moment Everything is like this. Yes, everything. All understanding. It's all improvable with better ideas. Oh, so you've learned Newtonian physics. So you think you understand physics now, do you? It's all common sense. It's just logic. You get it. You get what relative velocity is and time and space and cause and effect and so on. Oh, hold on a minute. Now, suddenly all that gets upended because you just learned that special and general relativity are things. Aha, so now you think. You get it. You understand physics more deeply. Oh, but wait a moment. Quantum theory is also apparently a thing. Well, now, now you get it. No, wait, wait. The multiverse is a thing. Aha, now you get it. No, wait. You've just read Shadows, Chapter 2 of The Fabric of Reality, and now you understand that That's a way of understanding the multiverse and therefore quantum theory. Okay, maybe you get it now. No, wait, wait. Fungibility and chapter 10 of the beginning of infinity, they're things. Uh, Now, now maybe you get physics. No, you realize there are levels to getting it. Ever deeper understandings that never terminate in finality. This was my trajectory with all of that. Even even with counting, I should say, something as simple as counting that everyone learns on mother's knee, yes, even that is infinitely deep. There's an infinite well of mystery to explore here. There's ever greater depth to dig and more fundamentals to find. How can something so simple like counting be infinitely deep? Does one plus one equals two have infinite depth beyond that surface truth? Yes, it does. For example, you can learn to prove that 1 plus 1 equals 2 from something called the axioms, Peano's axioms. It takes a full page of proof in order to prove this. And when I first encountered this, I thought, wow, now I finally have an understanding of basic arithmetic that I never had before. I more fully understood 1 plus 1 equals 2. And then I figured out, after reading David Deutsch on this, that that kind of proof is actually a physical process. And then I realized, wait, all physical things can be represented as computations of a kind. I I, I then understood that all computations are error-prone. And and your thinking, my thinking, everyone's thinking is a kind of error-prone computation. Therefore, we are all inherently fallible. We can all always misunderstand. And then, then you can begin to realize you arrive back at the original insight from David Deutsch and now James as well more deeply and now wait once more wait and realize that this will continue happening forever on everything if you and I are willing to understand everything more deeply and realize there always is a deeper way to understand things and it's all thrilling I don't need to react in the moment Reality just is and can always be more deeply understood. If it feels super bad or super good, understanding can help me appreciate those sensations more deeply and I need not get carried away by them, but rather be present in the moment and aware and in a sense, be in awe of what is. Not fearful or hopeful of what might be, but rather because being present here and now And understanding things more deeply means I can change things. Ideas are mine to create. And when I create a better explanation, I can transform the world.